It's very hard to talk about coronavirus as the word comes um, plagued with so many feelings and emotions. But I think since the beginning, there was an underestimation to the virus and also everything that is related to it. So underestimation for the belief in science and evidence. And currently, we find ourselves in a stalemate where it's really hard to find convergence points. And um, and we are and the citizens are in this battle between different sides and different opinions. And that's very hard to address the problem. So my feeling is rage, rage that we cannot go forward and we know that the impacts are going to be very different in different target groups um, especially in Sao Paulo where the inequality is huge, we are seeing that zip code, the address of the person will determine the lethality of the virus The situation here in Curitiba is not so bad considering we had an early lockdown, but the situation in Brazil in general is really worrying considering Bolsonaro's extremely problematic behavior, spreading misinformation and clashing with anyone who disagrees with him. The political crisis is getting deeper and some fear a disruption of the democratic order. Me and certainly many Brazilians are outraged with the complete lack of capacity and decency from the cabinet in the midst of an unprecedented crisis like this. What is going on in the Amazon region in Brazil is that the COVID-19 outbreak is adding new urgency and also complexity to the challenge of tackling deforestation. Uh, deforestation is on a high and this is because illegal miners and loggers, they have been incentivized by the President Bolsonaro to continue operating and at the same time they became vectors of transmission. So they're taking the new coronavirus to the communities and we are seeing a lot of deaths and new cases amongst indigenous peoples. Those were the voices of Carolina Guimarães, Thiago Asuncion, and Natalie Unterstel from Brazil, fellows of the Global Governance Futures Program, sharing their impressions of the situation in their country during the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. You're listening to The Global Strain, a podcast produced by the Global Governance Futures team at the Global Public Policy Institute. We look at how the coronavirus pandemic is affecting our lives and politics around the globe. I'm your host, Joel Sandu. Thank you for joining us. The COVID-19 outbreak in Brazil is turning from bad to worse. According to some scientific models, more people may be infected with COVID-19 in Brazil than in the United States of America. Brazil could become the new epicenter of this pandemic. While politicians in Brasilia are divided about what to do, experts say none has an effective strategy. Meanwhile, President Jair Bolsonaro of Brazil has scuffed off COVID-19 as nothing more than the sniffles or a minor flu. He wants Brazilians to get back to work, suggesting that those in support of lockdown measures and restrictions are involved in a political plot to bring down his presidency. Brazil was already in the midst of a political and economic crisis before the coronavirus pandemic. The global health emergency has made this worse. And all the while, COVID-19 is taking more lives in Brazil by the day. Could it be that President Bolsonaro is defying the reality that COVID-19 is ravaging his country? Our guest today is Oliver Stunkel, a non-resident fellow at the Global Public Policy Institute and an associate professor of international relations at Getulio Vargas Foundation in Sao Paulo, Brazil. His research focuses on rising powers, 
specifically on Brazil's, India's, and China's foreign policy, and on their impact on global governance. He joins me today to discuss the impact COVID-19 is having on Brazil's politics, economy, and most importantly, on its people. So tell me, Oliver, what's the situation like in Brazil in terms of the COVID-19 situation? What are you seeing Well, I think to contextualize the situation, I think three things are important to keep in mind. The first is that things have been pretty bad in Brazil ahead of the pandemic. So uh, the whole region, Latin America, uh, was the worst performing in, uh, in economic terms region Uh, in the world. The situ uh, situation even politically was somewhat unstable. A lot of criticism of uh, the, the way the president was seeking to erode democracy, uh, a lot of polarization. So all that has actually worsened. But the situation, again, was very, very complicated uh, prior to uh, the first cases of, of COVID-19. And the, uh, the second thing is really that I think uh, Brazil is somewhat unique because It's really a country that is such a deep political crisis in the midst of the pandemic that the public debate is very much shaped by discussions of, you know, whether the president should be impeached, uh, you know, what's the future of Brazilian democracy. So it's really, com uh, uh, compared to other countries, it's quite amazing how sort of day after day, uh, the headlines of, you know, newspapers are about the political crisis. And I think that takes away a lot of energy and attention that the country should be dedicating towards fighting the pandemic. It's interesting you said impeached, the impeachment of the president, and we'll get to that in a little bit, and also the future of democracy in Brazil. But I want to ask what's going wrong in Brazil? Because if you look, if you look at the figures as of today, which is May, 20, May 26th, well over 365,000 cases of infection have been recorded according to official figures. But then you look at the unofficial estimates the number of infections could be well north of a million. And Brazil could have, according to the University of Sao Paulo Medical School, the highest number of infections in the world. So what's going wrong? Well, I think a lot is going wrong. As I you know, just mentioned, the first is that the country's not really focused on this problem. So uh, there's a sense of rudderlessness. Uh, there's a sense that the president is taking the wrong approach. Actually, most recently, just you know, the, the daily death rate in Brazil Uh, has been higher than in the United States. So I think there's a lot of evidence that uh, Brazil uh, may be or may become the worst affected country in the world, as you say. And um, I think the political crisis has made things just so much more difficult. The other thing is that the president has initially you know, copied his approach by looking at the U.S. president. So the approach has uh, been fairly systematic, minimized the problem, and consistently blame others for the economic crisis that's coming. So the president has always been against social distancing measures. He has always said that this is not as bad as people would say, because he knows that the economic crisis that's coming because of the pandemic will be so severe that it's going to be very difficult for him to get reelected or even to finish his term. So his strategy is basically to say, that's not my problem. You know, the governors have to deal with this. The mayors have to deal with this. He wants to be associated to good news. So he has consistently sought to say this is not as serious as it looks. And the economic crisis will be caused not by the pandemic, but by the social distancing measures. And the people who are guilty or who are to blame for uh, the economic crisis are mayors, governors, and health uh, specialists. And all that explains why he 
you know, continues to violate the uh, recommendations of social distancing. He participates in protests. He uh, promotes conspiracy theories about the crisis. So there's a significant part of, uh, you know, the population that's genuinely confused. A lot of people who aren't really sure whether this is, you know, just the media exaggerating this. And I think it could work. I mean, President Bolsonaro could uh, not only remain in office, but he could get reelected because if, let's say, you know, there's thousands and uh, let's say hundreds of thousands of deaths or more than 100,000, he could say, well, you know, this is proof that the social distancing measures didn't work. If there are fewer deaths, uh, he will say, you know, this is proof that it wasn't so bad after all. And he has consistently used, I think, the crisis to deepen polarization, different, very different from other leaders on the world who have sought to unify the country in the, in the midst of this crisis. And as I said, you know, a lot of people talking about a potential impeachment. He's lost two ministers of health, I mean, which is really extraordinary. So I think there's a, this whole host of reasons which explains why the, the president is the main character to blame here, who's really done everything wrong in a way to assure that the country uh, is really not prepared and will probably not be prepared for future waves should they emerge in Brazil. So before we get into the politics of COVID-19 and the crisis that is happening in, in the political realm in Brazil, let me just ask you to quickly give our listeners an overview. Could you just describe the Brazilian healthcare system? You don't have to go into detail. I know you're, you're not an epidemiologist uh, or virologist, but how would you describe for, for people who are completely unaware of what the health system is like in, in, in Brazil? Well, um, Brazil's health system uh, for, you know, for a developing country is actually quite uh, well developed. We have there's universal access, which is something that where Brazil has been a pioneer for, for quite some time. Brazil has also in past decades always been a country that has led the global fight, you know, for access, for example, to HIV AIDS uh, uh, medicine has uh, made that the key focus of its, uh, its diplomacy. However, investment as you know, of GDP is, of course, lower than it would be in other OECD countries, which uh, stands a bit uh, above 3% of GDP. So that's relatively low. And of course, given also the extension of the country, it is difficult to respond to crises such as the one we're seeing right now. So in, in states like Rio de Janeiro, for example, the health system has been close to collapse prior to the pandemic. And that's why the majority of experts believe that uh, the health system will collapse nationwide. It has already collapsed in the Amazon uh, and in the state of Rio. So that is that shows that you know there is sort of universal coverage, but it is you know it's at times uh, overloaded in, in in large states such as the Amazon. It sometimes takes days for patients to uh, reach hospitals that have uh, intensive care units. It's also important to point out that uh, sort of the Brazilian elites tend not to use the public healthcare system. Uh, so there's sort of a separate private healthcare system. And that, of course, has not been collapsing even now at the height of, uh, of the pandemic. And of course, there's now a debate going on whether to uh, join the two and whether to, to, to force uh, private uh, healthcare providers to open up and private hospitals to also open up to, uh, to, to, to patients who don't have an expensive health plan. 
Let me take us back to something mentioned earlier, which was the sacking of two of Brazil's health ministers, Luis Enrique Mendetta, who was until a few weeks ago, as you know, Brazil's health minister, and he was fired by the Brazilian president, Jair Bolsonaro. His replacement, uh, who's a doctor with no political experience, himself resigned on May 15th after apparently President Bolsonaro had pushed him to reopen the economy and to promote unproven drugs to treat COVID-19. Can you tell us why this has happened and also what it tells us about President Bolsonaro's handling of the health crisis? Well, there are several issues here. The health minister Mandetta also was dismissed because uh, he was seen as um, somebody who was, you know, uh, uh, providing accurate information. He was following uh, World Health Organization guidelines. And because uh, Bolsonaro uh, was, you know, seen generally as being, you know, out of his depth or, or not taking this seriously, Mandetta suddenly became very popular, and uh, and that was just something the uh, the, the Brazilian president was uh, unwilling to tolerate because uh, research at the time, you know, polls showed that uh, uh, Mandetta's approval ratings were higher than that uh, than those of the president. So that was the first aspect. The second was that Bolsonaro has been elected as an anti-establishment candidate. That means anti-traditional uh, you know elites but it also means against academic scientific and intellectual elites so that also means that he is an anti-science president he needs to he has been consistently attacking research institutions for example he has been consistently attacking you know uh, uh, universities all the basically independent centers of research that he could not control so it made him very uncomfortable when universities, for example, uh, or you know, scientific publications made recommendations that were contrary to what he was saying, you know, that this is not a serious problem. So, and Mandetta was very much, you know, himself a doctor, even though I mean, this wasn't, you know, this is not a sort of a, le a leading uh, health expert, but he was doing his job in a fairly technocratic manner. He was listening to the scientists. He was continuously pointing out that uh, we don't have all the information at this stage. So he said, you know, we need to wait. We need to look at this. We need to be careful. So he is very much acting like most ministers of, ministers of health around the world. But um, by doing that, he basically contradicted Bolsonaro's strategy of dismissing elites as a whole. And that same problem arose with uh, his successor, who is a pro-Bolsonaro person. I mean, he was clearly elected because he had worked for the president during the campaign, etc. But he also refused to, to publicly endorse the use of a drug without having the adequate scientific evidence. So I think that's a, it's, it's, this is not really only about the pandemic. It's just that the pandemic reveals, you know, what this president is all about. This president who knowingly sort of seeks to undermine science, very much inspired by Trump, but I think in a much more extreme fashion. And Brazil currently doesn't have a Minister of Health. The government is filling the Ministry of Health with uh, military people who have no previous experience in public health. And basically everybody knows that if you know Brazil is to have a new Minister of Health, he may, uh, may very well choose not to substitute you know, or not to fill this vacancy at this stage, it will be somebody who is entirely following Bolsonaro's lead and is probably going to promote the use of unproven drugs. Also because Bolsonaro wants to have the solution. He wants to say there is a drug in order to convince people to, you know, go out again and, 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 and go about their normal lives. So he wants to basically create a confidence in this drug 
despite the fact that, again, there's no proof that this is actually working. I want to get to the heart of this and dig a little bit deeper on this because you've just mentioned uh, that he is a anti-science president. And clearly, President Bolsonaro has characterized the coronavirus as nothing more than a, a cold or a minor flu, as you know. And based on a recently released video, I think it was less than 48 hours ago, where Bolsonaro makes foul tirades, it's clear that he's lost patience, especially with his ministers who are persisting on the, the importance of social distancing and uh, emergency measures to slow down the spread of the virus. My question to you is, how is Bolsonaro getting away with this? How is he defying the reality that COVID-19 is actually ravaging his country? Right. So, I mean, that's sort of a, a, an interesting question. The question is, is he actually going, uh, is he um, getting away with it? We don't know yet. I mean, um, but he, he obviously he is, he's, he's, he's still the president and there's... Uh, of course. Right. He, I mean, in a way, I mean, it's, uh, as I said, it's a unique strategy and he is doing it because he doesn't want to, quote unquote, own the crisis. He wants to Uh, make sure that um, six months from now or 12 months from now, people will be unemployed and they will look for somebody to blame. And he does not want people to look towards him and say, you know, you're the president. Uh, this is your fault. Uh, because he knows that traditionally in crises, in crises, economic crises that are fairly deep and what is quite clear that we're heading towards such a crisis, presidents usually do not survive or don't, you know, don't, do not finish their time in office. So because of that, he's sort of saying, I need to, uh, you know, try something different. Of course, the opposition, and there's a lot of people pointing out that he is to blame for the severity of the crisis right now. You know, there's unnecessary deaths because he is actively undermining social distancing measures. He's minimizing the problem. There's a lot of people who are unsure of, of, of what to do. Um, I actually personally, you know, speak to Bolsonaro voters uh, frequently. And, you know, I, I know people personally who think that this is actually uh, not as serious as the media uh, is saying. So how is he getting away with it? I think two things are important to point out. The first is that his followers are very ice, sort of separate from the public debate that we're having. You know, a lot of people uh, get most of their news uh, on WhatsApp. So he has a very resilient followership. He is losing support among the moderates who voted for him because they believed that the technocrats could control the president. So those people who also read major newspapers, you know, who watch, uh, you know, television, Globo, for example, which the president consistently attacks, people who, you know, uh, read newspapers uh, from other countries, they know that the president is mishandling this crisis. But his, the followers who voted for Bolsonaro because of what he said, and who really, and many of them actually expect the president to establish a military dictatorship. People who, you know, are, you know, are whose, whose beliefs are shaped by profound hatred against, you know, the, the elites. Uh, those people are unlikely to change their mind. And actually, there have been cases, for example, of Bolsonaro followers disturbing funerals, opening the coffins because they believe that those were fake funerals, that, you know, there's a there's a there's a conspiracy going on, uh, that the numbers, the death number, uh, the numbers of deaths are fake. So that gives you a sense of how, let's say, uh, protected these people are from reality and how unlikely they are to blame the president. 
for what's happening in the country. And the second thing is that the, the opposition is deeply divided. Uh, so the president is actually governing without a unified, without facing a unified uh, opposition. And that actually uh, became even worse now that the Minister of Justice, Sergio Moro, who was sort of the, you know, the symbol of the fight against corruption, who had been, uh, and, and Bolsonaro took him on board, uh, which was crucial to maintain elite support. He has now left the government and he's now become one of Bolsonaro's main opponents. The problem is that there is a profound hatred between the Workers' Party and, and the former Minister of Justice, Moro, because, of course, the Workers' Party blames Moro for having unjustly uh, removed Lula from uh, the presidential race in 2018. So these two groups, for example, do not talk to each other. They hate each other, but they would have to jointly you know, sign up to an impeachment proceeding and say, we support the ouster of the president. But the Workers' Party, of course, prefers to face a weakened Bolsonaro two years from now than a, a Sergio a Moro, a minister of justice, who can say, you know, I brought on Lula, I brought on Bolsonaro. So there is a lot of tension within the opposition which basically makes Bolsonaro's life easier and which allows him to radicalize without fearing the impeachment at this stage. We'll, we'll come to the question of uh, Sergio Moro and, and some related issues in a second, but I want to come back to something we said at the very opening or something you said at the very opening of, uh, of this uh, episode, which touched upon the economy and, and politics. And as you know, Brazil is in the throes of a political and economic crisis. And all the while, COVID-19 is taking more and more lives in Brazil, especially in the Amazon region, as you pointed out. As of this recording, as of today, 22,746 people have died due to COVID-19. And experts in Brazil say that the peak is still weeks ahead. In, in, in your thinking, could it be that President Bolsonaro is putting Brazil at risk economically and politically? Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, f first of all, uh, the economy. I mean, for an investor to look at Brazil right now, I mean, you know, investors looks at Brazil right now and says, this country is really, you know, not led by a president with any clear vision of, of, of how to come through this or, or emerge from this with, you know, the, the minimal damage possible. I mean, the country is in the midst of economic crisis. It's in the midst of a health crisis. It's in the midst of a political crisis. The president is strength, is, is a deep polarization. He's causing a lot of friction between federal government, the state governments, the cities. He is uh, trying to divert public attention all the time. Uh, he's making overt threats against Congress, against Supreme Court. He you know, organizes rallies on a weekly basis throughout uh, the pandemic, you know, which is really, I mean, there's very few countries in the world that see the, this kind of behavior sort of blatantly violating everything that, you know, uh, health experts are saying, I mean, do not, you know, come together in large groups. And, and, and then you have, you know, every Sunday, the president greeting followers, shaking hands, kissing babies. I mean, all this kind of stuff, which is just, you know, really sort of strongly contradicting what, uh, what you know, the rest of the population is supposed to, uh, supposed to do. So he's clearly putting the nation at risk also because uh, it is unnecessarily prolonging the crisis. I mean, in other countries now, Argentina has, do, has, has been doing a great job. You know, Chile, Peru, Panama, lots of Uruguay, Paraguay, actually, very few cases have Paraguay per capita. I mean, it's really quite amazing. So these countries have been doing a good job with the same similar health system, similar situation, and they are going to be uh, opening up over the next couple of weeks. Uh, they're they're going to be trying to get their econo uh, economies moving again. 
Brazil at the same time is not even close to its peak. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot suggests that the peak will be, uh, you know, further in the future. Uh, so that's terrible for the economy. He's also been mishandling the creation of emergency aid for Brazil's poorest. It's unclear for how long this will come through. This is 600 reais, which is somewhat like, you know, $100 uh, per month to sort of make sure that people have enough to eat. This entire program, making sure that people actually have access to this, uh, has been taking way too much time. So I think there is also a serious risk of, you know, uh, instability, social instability. A lot of people saying that the president may even sort of be, have an interest in some instability, which may then, because he's known to also you know, uh, be uh, at times flirting with, you know, his, uh, he has authoritarian ambitions to sort of use that moment of instability to crack down and say, you know, this is proof that we need to concentrate power to, to face the situation. So absolutely, I mean, he's, um, he's uh, not only damaging Brazil's reputation, but also prolonging the crisis. And I'm quite certain that Brazil will take considerable more time to overcome this than other countries in Latin America. Now, the University of Sao Paulo Medical School believes not only can Brazil have potentially up to 1.5 million cases of COVID-19 infections in the population, which Brazilian authorities may not even know about, but they say that Brazil could become the epicenter of the pandemic. Do you think that could be the case? What are your thoughts on that? Well, yes. I mean, uh, you know, if you if you look at the streets of major cities, you know, people are getting... It's, it's, it's kind of strange, right? I mean, the, the numbers are going up, but there's this sense of, you know, of... of um, of quarantine fatigue. So people are sort of saying, you know, we've we've now, you know, practiced social distancing long enough. A lot of, you know, frequent violations of, of the rules that have been recommended by governors. I mean, you see constantly parties, you know, taking place. There is, uh, you know, there's been actually fairly close to to where I live. There's been a, a you know, massive wedding uh, the other day. And, you know, so if you, yeah, if you look at, uh, you know, the streets, I mean, people are, you know, sort of going about their lives so the uh it's it's unfortunately sort of a case of uh, how the pandemic could have spread in countries that basically don't really or only you know insufficiently implement social distancing measures and in large cities i would say about half uh, the population actually respects those measures. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, other countries around, uh, you know, bordering Brazil are very worried that this may affect them as well. The United States has just uh, banned uh, travels from Brazil to another country. So because everybody in global affairs now is talking just about the pandemic, I mean, the way you're handling this is really sort of your, I mean, that's you know, the first thing people uh, will think about when they think of your country. So it's really devastating to uh, Brazil's global reputation. Uh, it is seen as a country that's uh, not capable of dealing with its domestic problems, with the pandemic. And as a consequence, it will also not be listened to. It's, it's not going to be a, re a, a relevant member in the debate about a vaccine. It's not a relevant member in the debate about a post-pandemic world. So this crisis has really, you know, left Brazil uh, and as a much less relevant actor on the global stage.
One word that was, you know, that has been uh, thrown around is the word impeachment. So I want to turn our attention to that for just a moment and also pick up on something you said earlier. When the former Brazilian health minister, Luis Mandetta, was fired, he had said that President Bolsonaro didn't just fire him, but he also summarily dismissed science. And we've established now that this is an anti-science president. Since then, we've also seen Justice Minister Sergio Moro, as you mentioned, leave office citing political interference from the top. Now, there's a sense of political crisis in Brazil, no qualms about that. And some of his critics are saying that Bolsonaro is not fit for office, that he should be impeached, that he is endangering Brazil. Do you agree with that? Well, I mean, I, I certainly think the pressure or the public pressure for impeachment is rising. About uh, three out of five Brazilians now say that the president is mishandling the pandemic. And I think that public support for impeachment is growing. About, say, half of the population is now uh, in favor of impeachment. But impeachment is a difficult process. And of course, there's a question, do you impeach a president at the height of a pandemic? There's a uh, risk of, I think, social unrest. We've seen cases in other Latin American countries. It's really sort of a, a I, I wouldn't say a war type situation, but it's really a severe crisis. And a lot of people ask, should we be focusing for two months on a very long, traumatic impeachment process? We've just had one four years ago. We don't know exactly what the vice president thinks. So a lot of doubts about that, because uh, even though the president is mishandling the crisis, the question is, you really take away all you know that's left of public opinion, and everybody's going to look at uh, the impeachment process. So that's uh, one problem. The other is that the president has undertaken specific measures to protect himself from impeachment. There's a number of small parties in Brazil's Congress, a Congress of, you know, more than 20 parties, several of which don't have a clear ideology and which are basically there, you know, offering their vote in exchange for perks for, you know, positions in, you know, public banks, ports, airports, all these kinds of uh, positions uh, that give you political advantages. Bolsonaro has throughout decried this tradition of presidents having to cobble together these unwieldy coalitions in order to to govern. Uh, so he hasn't done that. He hasn't actually been able to pass many important laws. Uh, but now, because he's afraid of impeachment, he has approached these parties uh, and has offered them perks that uh, that they have taken and now they've pr they're protecting him against impeachment. So the question is also, would the vice president be willing to offer more to these groups? Because they don't really care about Bolsonaro specifically. They're now supporting Bolsonaro because he's offering them something. So it really also depends, is the vice president willing to take over in the way that President Temer was willing to basically push Dilma Rousseff over the edge and offer more to these parties. And that's yet unclear. The armed forces are uh, still supportive of Bolsonaro, uh, even though there's a lot of concern of how their growing you know, engagement in government uh, is affecting their their reputation. So there's a lot of factors that are still at play. As I mentioned earlier, the Workers' Party is not really uh, so sure whether impeaching Bolsonaro now is the right electoral strategy. Of course, voters could pressure the Workers' Party to come out sort of more consistently in favor of impeachment. But some people also worry that Bolsonaro may actually like that kind of situation because it will strengthen his narrative that the system is out to get him, that, uh, you know, the political 
political elites don't want to allow him to govern and that the impeachment is sort of a, a, a step taken by the system and he needs to resist and that you know the fact that impeachment is coming up now is sort of proof that he needs to be tougher against the Supreme Court, against Congress. So it's a very uh, uh, unstable political situation. A lot of people are worried that we could see something similar to what has happened in Peru in, two, in 1992, for example, when Fujimoto closed Congress, or something like in Hungary or in Turkey. So I would certainly say that the pandemic increases the risk uh, that uh, Brazil could see a, a process of erosion of its democracy in the next months and years. Oliver, we're coming to the end of our time, and I just want to ask you one final question very briefly. Looking forward, what do you think uh, will it take for Brazil to overcome the medical health emergency that is COVID-19? Well, that's a really interesting question and really points to the heart of the matter and the point of the problem right now in Brazil is that opt even optimists aren't really sure what to hope for right now, right? I mean, are they hoping for the impeachment of the president and then, you know, we have a general in power? Does this, with this general who's now vice president, and do a better job. Is there any hope that uh, Bolsonaro could, uh, you know, start adopting or a more moderate stance? I'm not sure. So unfortunately, right now, there doesn't seem to be sort of a plausible path, a plausible scenario of how Bolsonaro could somehow change gears and how the country could uh, overcome this. I think that international pressure Uh, will be crucial even from the region to, um, you know, to create incentives for the government to uh, adopt a more uh, a moderate stance, a more moderate strategy, a more sensible strategy based on scientific evidence. I think a lot will depend on the U.S. elections in November. It's worth pointing out that Trump has been really important for Bolsonaro as an inspiration, also as protection, because he knows that he is fairly isolated and the United States is really just so important to, uh, you know, basically approve of, you know, what the president is doing. So I think a Biden victory in November would dramatically increase international pressure on Brazil, you know, to come back to its traditional position of value of, of, of you know, appreciating scientific evidence of governing based on scientific evidence. So uh, I think that, you know, despite Brazil in being increasingly isolated, uh, it is important for the international community to continue to engage Brazil in order to make sure that uh, the country can overcome this. Uh, but unfortunately, at this stage, uh, I think most analysts, rightly so, are fairly pessimistic. And uh, I, I think that the next month will really be both politically, economically, and uh, in terms of the health crisis, be quite difficult for Brazil. Well, Oliver, we started off with a, a very basic question, which is, what's the situation like in Brazil? And uh, you've given us an incredibly comprehensive uh, overview. And I really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, and definitely our thoughts go out to people in Brazil, and, and we wish them and wish you, I know you're in Brazil, uh, all the best and, and that everyone stays safe. Thank you so much, Oliver. Thank you. Pleasure speaking to you. My guest today was Oliver Stunkel. This episode was produced by my colleague, Sonia Sugrubova from the Global Public Policy Institute. I want to thank the Robert Bosch Foundation for supporting the Global Governance Futures Program and for making this podcast possible. If you like what you heard, then please subscribe to this podcast using your favorite podcast app. You can find all our episodes, opinion pieces, interviews, and much more on www.ggfutures.net forward slash analysis. Take good care of yourselves, and thank you for listening. Thank you.